You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. I would love it if you could turn to the book of Revelation. I just want to fill in while you're looking for that. I've had the privilege of going to the States this week. I've been in Chicago. So I missed the mannequin last week. I can't believe it. I just looked up on my phone. It said there's been 14,500 people that have seen that. And unfortunately, I wasn't here last Sunday to take part. Can't believe it. I was in a church. uh, It was called Willow Creek for the week. Some of you would have heard of it. There's a guy called Bill Hybels. He started this church 41 years ago. And... um, a little bit different to us. Their seating on a Sunday is for 7,500 people. And uh, they do three meetings on a weekend. And then they've also done five other sites. So they get about 25,000 every weekend. Their carol services, I believe they're up to nine. And it's ticketed only because it's 85,000 people come to the carol service. And so you've got to make sure you turn up at the right one with a ticket. And for me, it was just phenomenal to go to a place like this and think, golly, what could God do amongst us? Yeah. So it was, it was called a church uh, leadership intensive. There was about 150 of us that had been invited from around the world. So it was a huge privilege to be there. I guess some things that I just came back, I thought, you'll you get lots out of me over the weeks on it. I thought they were very encouraging. Despite it being all this about you know, tens of thousands, they were really encouraging on individuals. And I just thought, yeah, I, I really want, to, I want us to be a church like that. You know, just to be able to look around and just think, oh, yeah, I so appreciate people working on the PA. I so appreciate people on the refreshment. I so appreciate the band. And it just reminds you again, it's great, isn't it? Even this morning, people just coming up and saying, God has been with me. God has answered this for my family. And I just thought, yeah, we want to be like that. I guess another thing that sort of grabbed me from this conference is they're so generous to give away to the world. Now, you could think, oh, that's a big church, but actually they've started something called the Willow Creek Association. I think there's something like 7,000 churches around the world. They do a leadership conference every year. I think it was 300,000 people took part in it this year. And they're just thinking, how could we keep giving people away to the world? And I thought, oh, yeah, I'd love Redeemer to almost have this philosophy of, well, actually, praise God for what's going on here. But who knows what's going to happen from here that could impact people around the world. And, uh, you know, they're not just so busy on what they're doing, just in their own place. They're just thinking, what about the world? And the final thing that I just want to bring back that I felt hugely challenging is they've built something called the Care Center. They've got a campus. I mean, it's a massive, great place. I, I wouldn't bore you with all those details. Uh, I think the care center uh, probably cost $10 million to build. I mean, it is on a bigger scale, but they love serving the poor. So this church, this weekend, are going to do um, a, a box to give to every prisoner in the state of Illinois for Christmas. And they're putting in their uh, books and popcorn. I mean, they had piles of stuff. It would more than fill this whole They've got 65,000 packages that they're doing just this weekend as a church so that every single prisoner will get a box this Christmas. I thought, what an incredible heart for the poor. That We do a food bank. You've heard about that this morning. We're involved in it. Uh, I'm serving this week. Love it. They've got a supermarket. I kid you not, and people turn up with a trolley and they go around and they just select this. 
Because they, do you know, obviously it's America and it's cars. They've even got their own garage. And they've got a six-bay garage. And people in the church, when they buy a new car, give their second, their old one into them. They repair it and they give it away to those that can't afford cars. And they've given away 58 cars this year. And they've done over 3,000 repairs free for those in the community that can't afford it. On the Wednesday night, they do a midweek meeting. I was privileged enough to go along to the, the midweek meeting. And they had a guy turn up there that uh, had been in prison and got one of these packs for the last four years. He got let out in September this year. And so what he thought is, where could I go that somebody might accept me? I know what. I got a pack from this church. I'm going to go and visit the church. So he turned up and visited the church, and then he discovered about this care center that they had. And so he went along there to try and, you know, anyway, <laughs> they've now employed him. And, and here he was saying, wow, I've been in prison for all this time. I've got this pack, and he's now out, and he's got a job there at the church. And I just think, isn't that, and I think, yeah, we want to be good news as well, don't we? We want to be good news to those that are around us. Well, who knows where it's going to go. Anyway, we are now looking at Utopia. Back here, and I'm looking at Utopia. We're looking at the book of Revelation. Revelation was written by this guy, John. He was a disciple. He was on the island of Patmos. It was in the first century, and he's writing to these seven churches. And in fact, before we even look at this letter, I just wanted to quote from Revelation and chapter 1. Because it says here, right at the beginning, and we've got to get the background before we jump into the letter I'm going to look at today. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of all things on the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever. Amen. And so this whole book starts with, wow, this is this Jesus. And this is what he's done. And now I'm going to write letters to these individual churches. If this is your first week, I just want to give you a quick recap. The letter to Ephesus was this. We can be conscientious and doctrinally sound, but still displease Jesus if we lack heartfelt love. So we could be doctrinally sound, but if we don't genuinely love, we could displease Jesus. The letter to Smyrna said this, we are to be encouraged by the presence of Christ, the control of God, and the promise of life, which enables us to be faithful under pressure. You may be under some pressure, but God is with you. God is in your corner. The letter last week looked at was from Pergamum. We are not only to hold to true teaching, we are there to counter false teaching. How do we say, well, look, what's the Bible got to say? And then the, the letter that we're going to look at this week, Thyatira, he says here, I want your life on Monday morning to be consistent with what you profess on Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this letter, I pray that you'd speak to us. We, we don't want to be academics. 
We want to be those that encounter our Father in heaven that loves us. You are so good. I pray that you would speak to everyone that's sat here now. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so I'm looking at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. To the angel of the church in thy Tara, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, that all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Diatara, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, church, what the Spirit says to the churches. I love this again. Right at the start of this letter, the focus is upon Jesus. This is the only time in the book that he's referred to as the Son of God. And we get this amazing picture that his eyes are like fire. He can see everywhere. That's how powerful the God is that we come before. His feet are like shining brass. Basically, they could run quickly and execute judgment wherever it is required. What he's trying to say is right at the beginning, come on, fix your eyes upon him. Hasn't it been great, Rich in the band this morning, just saying, come on, fix your eyes upon him. I I love Christmas. I really do. You know what I'm saying? We've got two trees in our house. We loved putting them up yesterday. But even in the midst of all this, how do I keep thinking I fix my eyes upon him? I don't know what your job is like. I don't know if you've got pressure. You've got to try and get things done, whether it's a university, two more weeks, you know, the final assignment's got to be in. Whether there's stuff that you, you think, oh, maybe you've got people coming to stay and you think I've got cooking to do and shopping to do. We've got to lift up our eyes and fix our eyes upon him at this time. Then what do we know about this place? Well, actually, what we do know is that out of the seven places that these letters went to, this one was the smallest. What we know about Thyatira is that it was not a religious center. What we know about it is it was not a political center. 
It was the smallest and the least important place, and yet it got the longest letter. I find that fascinating, don't you? I was reading this morning, I read through the Bible, and I'm, I was reading a passage out of Samuel, and it was that the, the Samuel had come to anoint a man to be king. And he said to this guy, bring me all your sons. And he brings them all out. And then, you know, he goes, no, I don't think it's that one. 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 And he says to him eventually, is that all your sons? Oh, well, there's this one looking after the sheep. He says, go and get him. I'm not going to stop until I see him. Brings him in. He, He rises and anoints him as king. I love that, even with this letter. It's almost like, oh, the smallest town and the most insignificant place gets this long letter. I don't know how you feel about yourself. But I know this. God loves those that many others would think are small and insignificant, that they'd brush over. I mean, I couldn't play one instrument up here. Rich plays two, you know what I'm saying? Talk about feeling insignificant in the front row, you know what I'm saying? God loves us. We might think, oh, I I couldn't do that, I couldn't do that. But actually, there's something God wants to speak to each of us. What we do know about this place is they had what was called guilds. So in those days, a little bit like a trade union, I guess, you couldn't actually do your job unless you belonged to one of these guilds. We know that they had a guild for um, dyeing um, fabric. We know they had a guild for brass work. Yeah, not the guild for dying. It wasn't a funeral <laughs> undertakers. <laughs> they had a guild for potters. They had a guild for bakers. They had a guild for slave dealers. So basically, what you had to do is you joined this guild. You'd go along. You'd have a great big meal together. There'd be lots of drinking, a bit too much drinking. It would probably lead to a load of other stuff as well. You'd, you would call upon the deity, the god that was in charge of that, and then you could do your business. Well, obviously, this presented some of these Christians a real challenge. You see, they wanted to be able to work, but did they really want to go along to these feasts? But if they didn't go along to the feast, they couldn't do the job. And so I guess suddenly there becomes this real challenge of how did they adopt or adapt the ways of society? And I guess that's true for some of us today, isn't it? You suddenly think, oh, my boss asked me to lie. But I don't really want to lie. I mean, it could just be a small thing, can't it? You know, the phone call goes. You, you know that we've not fulfilled the order. And the boss says, oh, just say I'm out. And you think, oh, I, I don't want to go there. They would have had pressure like this. How do they adapt to fit into society? It's funny because actually the, the, the letter starts off, you're doing really well. I love this about him. He says, look, you're doing well to God. You're doing well to your neighbors. You're doing well internally. He talks about their love and faith. He says, you're doing well externally. He talks about their service and works. He says, you're doing well physically because you're helping people. You're doing well spiritually because you're trusting God. So there was this almost this sense of, come on, you guys are growing. He says, actually, you're doing better now than you were before. Everything in the church, you could have said, you're doing great. I don't know how you feel like 2016 has been for you. Hopefully you'd be able to say, well, I could look back. Do you know, Pete, at the beginning of the year, I wasn't serving on anything. I'm serving now. Hey, I I never used to give anything. But now when Edward says that, I don't feel quite so bad. Because this year I've started to give. 
You might think, actually, I've never fasted before, but this year I fasted for the first time. You might say, well, actually, I, I didn't even love Jesus at the beginning. You might say, well, I've never gone to church this year, but I've, I've started. I'm looking. You're doing well. But then he says this, I have this against you. And he then goes into this whole picture of Jezebel. He says, but I've got this against you. Now, there's a whole load of discussion. When you read books that commentate on the Bible, they try and work out who was Jezebel. Somebody thought it was the bishop's wife. They always want to have a pop at the pastor's wife. Is that right? You know, it's, oh, I think it was her. Somebody else says they think it was Lydia, because we know from Acts that Lydia came from this place. And somebody else says, oh, no, it's just some bad teacher. I want to tell you who Jezebel is. In my humble opinion, Jezebel is the woman from the Old Testament. You see, in the last book, they talked about Balaam. It was almost like the character from the Old Testament that he caused you trouble. And now in this book, I believe that he's using another illustration of another character from the Old Testament. This wasn't necessarily a specific person. Now, you might say, well, who was Jezebel in the Old Testament? Well, Jezebel, you can read about her in the book of 1 Kings in chapter 16, 18, and 19. She married the king, and basically what she did was she, she didn't get rid of their religion. She just brought in other stuff as well. And so what she did is she undermined their trust in God. And so, you know, she said, oh, well, I think we should worship this as well. I think we should add this on as well. The prophet Elijah ended up saying to the people, come on, you're now wavering between these two things. Come on, what are you really trying to do here? And I guess that would be a challenge. You see, the people of God are considered a bride for God. They're to love God. And then the Old Testament, they used to say something like, oh, I think actually you're just a little bit of a, a harlot. It's almost like you're now going after other things. Jeremiah says that in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 6. We are to remain faithful to the one. This is a message that continues into the New Testament. Jesus is the only saviour. You cannot have two masters. So my question to you, what else are you tempted to serve? Who else am I tempted to serve? Do I want to serve comfort? Do I want to serve money? Do I want to serve career? Or is it even my own family? I'm so committed to my own family that that's the most important. And actually, I've brought that in and it would dilute my love for God. In John 14, 6, we know that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can go to the Father except by me. The, the, the. It's almost like saying there is only one way, and his name is Jesus. So why do we expect happiness or fulfillment via anything else? I don't know about you. I don't know what your goals are going to be for 2017. I don't know if you start thinking about, I always get to this point in the year, and I think, oh, how have I done? What am I going to go for for next year? What might satisfy me? Well, I think actually... What the Bible says, you will find ultimate satisfaction in Jesus Christ. 
Peter, when he's preaching to the church in the book of Acts, and those that were interested, that gathered around, said this, there is no way to be saved from the punishment of sin through anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given to by men by which we can be saved. This is a huge challenge for us for today. Obviously, I've been in the States. I was reading there that 72% of Americans between the age of 18 and 25, 72% believe there is no such thing as an absolute truth. And yet what we're discovering from the Bible is Jesus is the truth and he's the way. I would say even in this country, we like to hold the theology that everyone is right unless someone claims to be. Everyone's right unless someone claims to be. And so if we suddenly say, well, actually, we honestly believe Jesus is the way to God, they say, oh, no, no, you can't be right. Everybody's right. But as soon as we claim to be, we're in trouble. I think there's a challenge here. But there's also an excitement here. You see, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. The people there had been looking for this one that was going to set them free. They'd always been looking, thinking, who's going to come and set us free? And they gave the person that they were hoping for the name Messiah. One day he will come. And that's why they thought, I mean, they thought when Jesus turned up that it was going to be a political thing, a revolutionary thing. That he was going to overthrow the Romans and set them free. But they'd always had this hope that this Messiah would come. And in fact, the, the quote, I don't know if your Bible had it, mine in verse 27, has actually got it slightly separate because it is from Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 was a psalm about the coming Messiah. Ask of me and I will give the nations for you to own. The ends of the earth will belong to you. You will break them using a piece of iron and they will be broken in pieces like pots of clay. And what basically they were saying is, look, when the Messiah comes, he's going to have this authority. But actually, this letter says, Jesus says, I'm the Messiah and I want to share the authority with you. I want you to realize this is who you are. Do you realize all that God given you? you, I mean, seriously, do we get so caught up in all the other bits and pieces that we forget the truth of what God has given us? I was reading this story um, just this week about this, this guy that went on a cruise. And he goes on the cruise and he takes a packed lunch with him. And he's got these sandwiches. I mean, how bizarre is that? You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you've never done a cruise before, but if you go on a cruise, you, you know, you, you can get everything. But he didn't realize that. And so for a whole week, all he did was eat his own sandwiches. Obviously, by day two, they got pretty stale. By day three, they were horrible. By day four, you know what I'm saying? He was sat there. He used to press his nose up against the glass, just thinking, oh, I wish I could eat at the banquet. It wasn't actually until he disembarked, the captain even said to him, why did you never come and join us? Well, I, I didn't think I could afford it. The captain said to him, well, no, no, actually, it was all included in the price. I sometimes think we live like that as Christians. We live like paupers thinking, oh, if only God would let and help me to do something. But actually, it's all there for us. And so often we just don't receive it. 
Paul writing to the, the, the church says this, you're sons and daughters in Romans chapter 8. If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. I believe that actually what he's trying to say to these people is, look, you've been compromising. You've had one foot in these guilds. But actually, you understand who you are in God. Why on earth would you compromise if you understood who you were? Have you forgotten about the authority of who you are in Christ? And then he goes on to talk about this morning star. Now again, the book of Revelation is a slightly different genre than others, and we've got to try and understand what it's talking about. The morning star was a picture. It was a a picture of the planet Venus that appeared just before dawn. Venus was also the Roman goddess of victory. But actually, when it comes to the morning star for us, we think we can understand the picture very clearly because in Revelation 22, verse 16, it basically says the morning star is Jesus Christ. We learn, therefore, that if we are part of the church, we can know the authority and the presence of Jesus all the time. And so basically, he's writing to these people to say, look, I want you to realize you can know my authority and you can know my presence. Well, many of us that know our Bibles think, hang on, Pete, that reminds me of Jesus. Yet the Great Commission. He says to them, doesn't it? All power and authority has been given to me, and therefore I give it to you. I want you to go. So what do I want to challenge us about this? Well, I think this letter speaks to us very clearly today. You see, we live in a society where you can get everything on a small screen. Let's be frank, we we could never compete with the band or the presentation with the kind of things that you can see on YouTube that, you know, you you could get sent around you. The small screen is incredible. But I tell you what we really lack, what we really desire is authenticity. And I think people, even in this day, what they're looking for is what is genuine and what is real. And I think this letter addresses that. Because what it's trying to say is, look, don't try and fudge things. Don't try and live one way on a Sunday and a different way on a Monday. What it's trying to say is you've got to be real. Who we are in God should affect us every day of the week. Doesn't matter whether you feel a tired parent at one o'clock in the morning this is who we are. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? If you're struggling to get onto the tube and you don't get a seat, you know, oh, you think, Thursday, how many more days? Am I? No, actually, who we are should impact us every day of the week. Because that is what it says here, doesn't it? Zig Ziglar. I thought I've got a quote in America and having been out there this week. He was an American author, salesman, and motivational speaker. And with a name like that, deserves being listened to. He says this, be careful not to compromise what you want most for what you want now. And I think, surely to me that summarizes a bit of this. We so often give up what we want most for something that's a compromise for what we want now. And what this letter is trying to say is, hey, come on, don't give in Wednesday lunchtime. Don't give in on Saturday morning. Actually, what do you really want? You want something of God. And you want to know his love and you want to know his grace. Well, know that. Go for that rather than compromise. 
Billy Graham, the American evangelist, says this, Make sure of your commitment to Jesus Christ and to seek to follow him every day. Don't be swayed by the false values and goals of this world, but put Christ and his will first in everything that you do. And I guess if I had to say something of this letter and how does it speak to us and our desire for that, my desire, and I believe this is what the Bible is trying to say, is let's give him our absolute everything. You know, I, I don't know what your week is going to hold, but I could, I could say, that. why don't you just think, I'm going to take him every single day. Every single day. What decisions have I got to make? How am I thinking about my finances? How's my marriage going? Who would I like to marry next year? What am I doing with my kids? Why don't you involve him in every single thing? How do I cope with the pressure of work? How do I cope with paying rent in London? Let's give him our everything. What it's trying to say is, look, you don't have to try and separate into this God spot on a Sunday and then do the rest of the week on your own. He wants to be involved in your everything. I'd love to pray. I'd love to pray this morning for those that think, I struggle on Monday. You see, my own story was this, I'll be honest. I went to church as a kid, and um, I... Praise God, my parents brought me up to love the Bible, and I, we used to try and read it every day. To be honest, I used to forget most days, and so I used to read all seven days on the Sunday. And, uh, you know, I used to go to church and think, oh, I really try my best on a Sunday. But then, to be honest, as a teenager and being at school, I struggled a bit on a Monday, Tuesday. I struggled to really live it out. And then what would happen is next Sunday, <laughs> I think, oh, no, you know, I was meant to have read all these things. I'd read them all again on a Sunday. And I'd try and do my best, and then I'd struggle again throughout the week. Until I realize, actually, God wants to be involved in my everything. Authenticity is given in my all. I don't want you to turn up and feel condemned. I just want you to know that, actually, he says, I want to be with you every single day. And if you're brutally honest, you think, Peter, I find it much easier to turn up at church and, and to be like that on a Sunday. I just struggle a bit on a Monday, Tuesday. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray that actually you know the joy of the fact that he's with you all the time. Why don't we just spend a moment in prayer? If you think, actually, Pete, I'd love you to pray pray over me. I'd like you just to stand where you are. I'm not going to ask you to confess anything. I just think it's important to say, God, I I want to know you every day. I want to know you 24-7. Why don't you just stand where you are and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I want to pray for everyone that stood right now. I pray for them for this week. God, we don't want them going away feeling beaten up. We want them to feel encouraged that God is with them. God, I pray they'd know something of your grace and your strength. Lord God, you know the pressures that they feel under. Lord, whether it's something from their boss or whether it's something from their own heart. You know the challenge they're facing at this time. 
where they're frustrated with something they've not done or they have. Father, we bring them to you now. Father, I pray for authentic believers that follow you 24-7. God, I pray for them that they'd be full of integrity even when no one's watching. God, I pray that they'd involve you in their everything this week. Father, I pray they'd be aware of your presence. I thank you they don't have to face the job alone. They don't have to face parenting alone, but that you are with them. God, I do want to pray your blessing over every person that has stood right now in Jesus' name. Amen.